it's hard for me not to just fanboy over over bobbing because I love who he is and what he does. But this is a guy who can write reform dogmatics and then a bunch of essays on uh, all sorts of stuff, ethical ethical issues and such, as well as being like involved in like papers, like uh, newspapers and stuff like that, and being uh, uh, Kuiper's theological henchman and like he could do all this stuff but then he was also jumping in on this and instead of saying this kernel stuff is not religious this finding the kernel the essence of christianity no no no, what you need is the dogmatics read my whole thing he's like i'll do that too i'll jump in on that project as well as making my own dogmatics as well as doing this as well as teaching at every level that's what i love i want more people like that you know who aren't just (laughs) fighting over no don't make it too simple or don't make it too heady like let's do it all every level let's hit them all Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is another very special one. We're going to be talking a little bit more about theology today, uh, and especially the theology of uh, dogmatician Herman Bavink, Bavink, however you say it. Um, and I have with me Greg Parker. And uh, Greg's assistant professor of theology at Karen University, I believe, and uh, we'll be defending his dissertation here soon. I'm really excited for this. It's been a long time coming, but I finally got him on. I'm 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 stoked to get back into some Bob Inc. and Dutch theology type stuff. Um, this is Theophilus. If if for those who are watching, Theophilus is the most excellent puppy. But today, this morning, he was not so excellent. He got into uh, one of my. He got into my wife's unmentionables. I'll say. And I may have had to take him to the vet at like 7.30 in the morning. So he's not doing too hot right now. Usually you see him, you know, <laughs> biting and stuff. But so uh, if he is making noises and stuff, that's what's up. Poor little Theophilus is still on the mend. But uh, you can get uh, some Parker's Pensies gear now, like a lot of gear over at my Teespring store. You can find the link in the description. And we got some designs with most excellent Theophilus coming through. So stay tuned for those. If you love this podcast, if you like this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. You can support this podcast for anything as uh, as little as $3 a month, all the way up to 100 And uh, another way to support this podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, there should be a super thanks button down here. You can give me a tip. You can buy me a coffee, whatever uh, you want to do above and beyond. So thanks for supporting this podcast. Leave us some comments. Give it a like. You know how to manipulate the algorithms but uh, if you do leave comments uh i will still read through those until we get too huge and you guys get too crazy so without further ado let's bring in greg and let's talk about the theology of herman bovink <clears throat> greg man i always say bovink uh, i think i'm just i think i'm settled on it i know it's probably like bavink or something what, what, what do you say how do you pronounce it i say it the way that you said uh herman yes. bovink uh, so I wouldn't sweat it too much. Uh, we can start our own little coalition and yeah. and make that the right reading if we want. Uh, but thanks so much for having me on, Parker. Uh, yeah. It's it's going to take me a, a, a bit to get used to calling you Parker. Uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, I was always called by my last name. Mm-hmm. And so it almost feels like I'm I'm talking to some sort of version of myself right now. I love that, dude. Um, yeah, so. I can resonate with that. People would always <laughs> would always be like, "Hey, Parker, what's your first name?" And be like, "Yeah, no, that's that is my first name." And people are like, "You have yeah. two last names." I'm like, "Yeah, sorry, man, I didn't <laughs> name myself." Um, yeah, yeah there, but, was, uh, there was one. There was one family that would always call me Parker. Parker, my older sister Parker, 
and then my younger brother Parker Parker Parker. Uh, <laughs> so it's there's all all kinds of different ways to approach this this being a Parker. That's right. Do you do you know? I was going to say, do you know what it means? Do you know what Parker means? I don't. I, I assume that it had some sort of uh, reference to like keeping a land or something in, in English yeah. nobility or something like that. But do yeah, you know? like, yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard is that it's, it's someone who like manages and keeps the parks. Okay. Like that's, that's yeah. not bad, dude. I like that. I like animals and yeah. stuff. I could go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Down with that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, dude, so, so you're, you're part of the, the, uh, Bavink. It's the reformation. I've, I've called it like revolution before. And the other guys are like, no, dude, it's, we don't go in for revolutions. We go in for reformation. <laughs> so, uh, you're, uh, can you tell us a little bit, like, how'd you get into studying Bavink and where where are you studying him, I guess? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I started reading um, Bavink in about, I guess, 2014. I had just finished up my undergraduate work and I uh, was working at an Amazon warehouse and there was this little reformed bookstore, like two blocks from my house. Super dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so uh, every this time like I would Michigan get a, or some where where was uh, so this was in like central PA Carlisle Pennsylvania oh, okay PA and so uh, uh, where the banner of truth is located nice. uh, or at least their English location and so every time I get paid I kind of stumble down the street into this bookstore and, and buy something uh, and across a few paychecks I ended up picking up Bobbing's Reform Dogmatics uh, really as a way to try to bolster my my theological I guess acumen. Um, cause alongside of being at Amazon, I was kind of helping in this church plant and I really felt like I just, I needed more theology. Uh, so that was when I first started reading Bob Inc. Um, but it wasn't really until seminary, uh, I went up to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, their, their South Hamilton campus, which is being mm. closed. Um, and really I kind of forced or strong armed a couple of professors there to let me do some independent studies kind of oriented towards Bob Inc. And so that was when I really, I guess, joined, uh, the the fledgling reformation and then uh which was already really started because uh, Corey brock and grace utanto and, and and james bruce pass cam and all those guys were already in edinburgh doing uh phenomenal work um so got into bob Inc. then really got seriously in seminary i uh, did a thm on his doctrine of divine simplicity and then uh, in the midst of that uh gray really uh, encouraged me to consider doctoral work. And uh, so I thought about doing that and kind of looking at pastoral ministry and this kind of pastor theologian model and, and kind of really fell in love with the idea of doing a PhD, hmm. uh, a very dangerous thing That's <laughs> for right. a seminary student. Um, but then, yeah, it all kind of just came together and I uh, was able to get a scholarship to go to Edinburgh and started working with James and uh, got connected to the, I guess as Tim Keller calls us, the, the Bobink Mafia. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> so I'm working with uh, James Eglinton at Edinburgh. 
the project that I ended up kind of settling on was uh, the relationship between Bobbing's dogmatics and his ethics. Yeah. Uh, so kind of, I guess, a timely project given um, all the English translations that have come out in the last decade. I remember talking with you about this a couple of years back when we were on the underground uh, online seminary where mm-hmm. when Paul Maxwell was still Paul Maxwell and not this yeah. shadowy character. I love you, Paul. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, back in those days, that was when they they started coming out with the uh, Bob Inc. ethics. I remember mm-hmm. asking you, like, bro, is this good? Like, is, and you were, like, tearing your hair out. Like, they, they probably shouldn't have done this. Like, yeah, it, real quick, yes. like, it's it's not like his his um it's not like the dogmatics where he like spent years and years working on it it's like something wasn't it like a project he gave up on or he didn't quite complete yeah that that's a that's a good way to put it uh so uh in compen um the theological school of compen uh back in the the 20th century or turn of the 20th century uh, or before, just right before then uh you would teach dogmatics kind of alongside ethics and so he was kind of always working on these these manuscripts at the same time to some degree. Uh, but his dogmatics, he really polished and worked toward uh, publication. Um, but his ethics, uh, once he switched over to the free university, um, he kind of just stopped working on. And you can kind of tell that they're an earlier version of Bob Inc., um, mm. not as mature thinking. It's a lot more... Um, kind of like scrib notes almost. Uh, yeah. and so, so that's really my difficulty with the reformed ethics, not to, to slam it. I've, I've read um, what's available and uh, it's, it's just unpolished and unfinished. So we just need to kind of treat it as that. Uh, yeah. I get weary when people talk about his reformed ethics as if it's like the, the definitive statement in reformed ethics. You know, there's, you know, we, we don't need to look back or look forward at all anymore. Right. We have yeah. it now. Yeah, uh, and and he wasn't happy with it in that sort of way. So so neither should we. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of work to do yet in in reformed ethics, and especially uh, looking into Bobbing's ethics. But it is a really inter- interesting piece of scholarship because it does give us insight into development within within Bobbing's thinking. Hmm. Um, and it is a, a huge uh, just kind of access treasure trove of like what what did he think on these things um yeah but I, i'm not in love with the the english edition of it yeah so. yeah that's that's so good i, I love that um <clears throat> i don't know if this i don't know how intentional this is but all the bobink mafia uh, i won't say uh bobink bros because that's <laughs> not right and ladies are more than welcome to work uh with eglinton mm-hmm. uh but <laughs> i shouldn't have said that probably uh, I love that you guys are picking different topics and like just running through his thoughts. Is that intentional? Does does James have this master plan, James Eglinton, <laughs> for those who don't know, to say like, well, I'm going to send Greg out on ethics because it seems like it's falling out that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if he has a, a master plan, you know, if he's uh, Magneto or something standing behind the scenes organizing things, <laughs> uh, he, cer- he certainly hasn't let us in on it. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's just kind of the the natural development of scholarship uh, that uh, you have all these guys who are interested in Bob Bank uh, and and girls outside of Edinburgh, um, yeah. who uh, just kind of are seeing you know holes or seeing opportunities to do uh, interesting scholarship. And so there is some overlap. You know, there's a lot of thinking about this organic motif idea, uh, and you know maybe maybe too much. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> 
and there is like uh, there's some overlap between my project and and Israel Guerrero's because we both have some some stuff on on faith, uh, and so there is some overlap which is going to happen just because that's naturally scholarship needs to be in conversation with one another. Um, but I th yeah, I think it's just the natural development of a field. You know, we haven't gotten to the point where like BART studies is where you know people are picking one word to look at. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's it's, uh, it's yeah. still pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, I would say BART is no, I won't say anything because I have BART listeners, but I don't like BART. <laughs> um, so yeah, do, maybe we should just say who who Herman Bobank is for the listeners. Um, I the podcast has taken like a a sharp. The, uh, philosophy of religion type turn mostly because I, I picked up that degree after ted's um mm -hmm. and so some of my listeners won't even know like who who we're talking about at all who who is herman bovink and like why especially if they're philosophy of religion folks they're like why should we care what this guy thought yeah yeah so uh so herman was a a dutch reformed theologian uh he really was the progenitor of a uh, an enclave within Reformed theology called Neo-Calvinism alongside of Abraham Kuyper. Uh, he lived from 1854 to 1921, so really spanned uh, a, a good portion of the long 19th century. Um, he's a, a pretty interesting thinker in that uh, he's, he's a, as James has put it, he's a polymath, or you might want to differently put it, he's a centrifugal or centripetal scholar, and that mm. he's really interested in kind of seeing all these different fields of knowledge and desiring to connect them in a theological way. And uh, which is kind of part of, I guess, um, my dissertation. I looked at something called the Theological Encyclopedia in, uh, in Herman Bobbink, which sounds like dreadfully boring, um, but it was actually <laughs> really exciting and interesting to me. But part of the Theological Encyclopedia is kind of this, uh, or I guess encyclopedia in general as a science of the 19th century, is kind of a looking at all the different fields and trying to map them and talk about how they connect with each other. So this kind of gets into some of his uh, organicism, right? Mm. Seeing that all fields of knowledge are connected. Didn't um, Kuiper have one too? Did, did Kuiper have an encyclopedia? Yep. Yeah. So he okay. had an encyclopedia and the, the English edition is only one volume, but it's, it is a three volume set, the, okay. the Dutch version. Uh, and, and Bavink and Kuiper kind of have different approaches to the encyclopedia. <clears throat> okay. Um, at one point, I had a uh, a conference paper that got canceled because of COVID, uh, oh, titled uh, "One uh, One Neo Calvinist Encyclopedia to Rule Them All," <laughs> kind of playing on Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's um, good. But so Bobink was this this figure who kind of came to um, uh, to prominence in, in Dutch society uh, in the midst of a, a really interesting transition uh, where Dutch society was pretty. Um, you might say like almost like a class system in some way, um, mm. but Dutch politics really changed over and you had this ability to really integrate into society for these particularly um, Dutch Christians or Dutch seceder Christians. And, uh, and so Bob Inc. really uh, took advantage of that and uh, became this kind of world-renowned uh, theologian. Um, he's probably most interesting to people within the reformed world. Um, and then particularly Americans have some sort of, uh, proclivity towards him, but there is a booming, uh, scholarship on him in, in Korea as well. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Dang. That's huge. Um, 
Well, I, I, I don't want to forget. There's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I don't want to forget to uh, to hawk your book here. One of your new books. I didn't actually know there was two. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, but you, so part of the Bob Inc. Mafia is uh, new translations of his book, of his books and some <laughs> not even new. It's just the first English translation. Uh, like, so Christian worldview was a, a huge one. Like I, this is one of my favorite books. I love this book. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend Jordan Singer works at Crossway. He did the cover for it too. So it's like oh, really nice. special to me he did mm -hmm. my logo so anyone seeing the parker spences same guy That's who did great. that did this um and then you came out with recently herman bovink's what is christianity mm -hmm. and uh this is huge man this is so, like you know theological dutch that's that's wild <laughs> do you ever think you'd be able to say that growing up like yeah i'm an expert in theological dutch i don't i don't think it uh it crossed my mind was that when i was growing up i was <laughs> one of the so in Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from and, and reside now, uh, there's a strong contingent of what you would call Pennsylvania Dutch, yeah. which are is really just Germans, German right? immigrants who kind of settled in the area. It's uh, my wife's family. They're all Pennsylvania oh, Dutch. Oh, nice. They, they speak, uh, her, her grandpa like spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. It was wild. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's same with kind of uh, my family. Hmm. And uh so growing up, you know, a lot of people take like Spanish or something as a second language. But in my area, German was an offering. And so okay. I took German, uh, which is has some sort of a, you know, historical and linguistic uh, connection with Dutch. Um, so I, I guess I had more envisioned doing something maybe with, with German rather than Dutch. Yeah. Uh, but these are the cards. <laughs> it's so good. I sometimes uh, so I I. I did two masters in in theology at ted's working another in philosophy of religion uh, at pba and people say like why, why don't you just go on and do a, a phd in theology and i don't think they know that like look i'm not in a phd program yet for philosophy i'm sure it's gonna be really hard to get into and stuff but once mm -hmm. you get in i have to do like logic and that's cool but i don't have to do uh french or you know theological french <laughs> or german or dutch and then take right. language tests on hebrew and uh and greek so like it's a little bit less, you know, it's, it's, that's why I'm, I'm trying to go philosophy. Theology is really hard. Um, <laughs> did you have to do rigorous in its own way? Yeah. Did, did, uh, I don't know how the like European systems are. Did you have to do yeah. like, did you have to have a Hebrew and Greek requirement coming in? Uh, so for the UK system, you don't have competency exams. Um, okay. but in terms of getting into the program, they do want you to show some sort of competency. Uh, so I took, theological German at Gordon-Conwell as a kind of a way to demonstrate a language. And then uh, James runs a, a really a Dutch translation, uh, learning Dutch, Dutch grammar uh, course okay. your first couple of years uh, in Edinburgh. And so I, I took that alongside of James and that was kind of um, like, you have to agree to do that. Uh, okay. That makes sense. The program. Uh, they Part of the mafia. They won't really elect you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, uh, do you ever get to speak Dutch with anyone? So it's one of the strange things about, uh, I think, maybe just learning theological languages in general. Yeah. Uh, it's that because I learned Greek and then Hebrew, uh, which which neither of them to me were spoken languages, right? You're just kind of learning how to translate, learning how right. to parse things. Um, when I learned Dutch, I didn't really learn to speak it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I tried when I was in the Netherlands, I did like a, a month long fellowship and went over there a couple of times to visit, uh, the Herman Bovink archives at the Vrije Universiteit of, uh, Amsterdam. Um, and I try to, you know, converse with people. Um, but one of the strange difficulties is that the Dutch language went through 
uh, significant changes in the 1940s, hmm. uh, really sort of to anglicize following uh, the devastation of World War One and World War Two, um, and kind of you know de-Germanify, if I can say that, oh, uh, wow. the I language. Think about that. Wow. Um, and so the the Dutch I was trying to speak, you know, were all these words I had learned uh, trying to read Bavink and translating Bavink, and they were like, you know, the King's James Version or, or Shakespeare. And you know, so yeah, I got yeah. a lot of comments like, "You sound like my dead grandparents." Like, just just stop, you know? Oh like, wow! Can I just wow. speak English to you? So in the end, I didn't really learn uh, how to speak it. Uh, it is one of my my goals. I'd love to get into some sort of like. Uh, like Dutch immersion class or something here just to really pick, pick it up on that sort of level. Yeah. Well, um, to go back to this book real quick, just so, so people know, like it's a great book. It's Herman Bovink's what is Christianity um, in the, the cover here. Uh, it's a Hendrickson book. It's got the like Batman, the animated series font from when we were <laughs> kids. Do you, are you familiar with that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, like um, just hit me. Like this is the Batman animated series. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I think it's uh, technically the Art Nuevo style. Okay. Um, I could have said that wrong, but it was a, a prominent kind of font style that was used uh, in Dutch society okay. at the turn of the 20th century. So that was kind of it was a little bit of a homage to uh, the time period trying to draw upon the fonts, but it, it definitely does have connections to Batman. <laughs> That's awesome. I should have known that there's some reason for it. You guys always have reasons like the uh, philosophy of revelation book has, you know, this, uh, I don't know if it's abstract art, but it's like the, the Dutch mm-hmm. art of the time where they're trying to get at like the universals and stuff. And it's just beautiful. I think it's beautiful. Some people think it's just shapes, yeah. but yeah, yeah there's yeah, always yeah, reasons. That was Mondrian, and Mondrian has like a kind of a weird connection to Dutch neo-Calvinism, and that he really his earlier stuff has a ton of organicism in it. You know, he's drawing a lot of uh, trees and that sort of stuff, and then his later stuff gets in this abstract direction. But he had a, a connection. I think his I don't want to misspeak. I think his father was um, a neo-Calvinist minister. Okay, um, but that could be totally wrong. Yeah, um, but yeah. So I was I was trying to be pretty intentional with the cover, um, drawing upon that font, and then a lot of Bobbing's uh, books, the Dutch editions of them, do have some sort of floral on them. So that that too oh. was, was trying to connect to. Yeah, um, is it? A, I mean, it looks like a tulip, but that I mean, is it a it tulip? Or is, okay. Yeah. I don't. 